I've noticed a number of peculiar incidents among the members of the student body, all having to do with rock and roll music. Now, if you don't think this song is the greatest song ever, I will fight you. The Eisler Brothers have defied categorization since the 1950s, moving easily between gospel, doo-wop, funk, soul, disco, and rock. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. Legendary guitarist Ernie Eisley joins us to discuss the six-decade-plus career of the Eisley Brothers. Then we'll review the new album by New Jersey arc punks Titus Andronicus. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, Jim, and it's a box set bonanza this Ooh. week. Yes, it is. Ernie Isley of the Isley Brothers, they've got a huge box set out. We're going to talk to him in the show. And my Desert Island Jukebox is going to focus on a band that has just put out a new box set. That's later on in the show, but first we've got some music news. That is Roar by Katy Perry. I know you're happy to hear that again, Greg. (laughs) Why are we playing it? It is on a new Spotify playlist that allegedly has been drawn up by Hillary Clinton. I say allegedly because I just have a hard time (laughs) imagining former Secretary of State, Senator, presidential candidate Clinton actually sitting down and coming up with this list. Somebody from the Clinton campaign put out a Spotify list. It starts with American authors. She's apparently very fond of American authors because they pop up on her list several times goes into Jim Class Heroes, Katy Perry, Kelly Clarkson, Pharrell Williams. There's also some uh, Ariana Grande on there, Sarah Bareilles. Really? This is what Senator Clinton listens to when she's jetting around campaigning? I don't think so. On the other hand, several times we have done stories about President Obama's connections to music. You know, we were rock critics here in Chicago. I met him once. He claimed Mm -hmm. to read me. I think he actually listens to music. The White House is also on Spotify, and they put out two playlists recently, one for the day, one for the night, apparently songs that the president wanted to listen to while vacationing on Martha's Vineyard. These are really good playlists, right? The day playlist begins, Ain't Too Proud to Beg by The Temptations. You know, some pretty deep cuts, right? Live It Up by the Isley Brothers. Memories Live by Talib Kweli, right? There is a song on this day playlist by a band that I was raving about just a couple of weeks on the show, Low Cut Connie. (laughs) He's got Low Cut Connie, the president of the United States of America, on his playlist. lapses in taste. I don't want to be partisan here. There's some Coldplay. There's never an excuse, Mr. President, for listening to Coldplay, okay? On the night playlist, he's got John Coltrane, uh, Frank Ocean and Beyonce, Al Green, 
man, you know, whoever the next president is, I think, is going to have to reach hard into the record collection to top <laughs> these playlists. <laughs> Springsteen with Born to Run, and speaking of presidential candidates weighing in on uh, their favorite music, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, another contender for the Republican nomination, uh, has weighed in with his favorite album of all time on the 40th anniversary of Born to Run. He says it's the greatest. He says it's his Desert Island jukebox pick, Jim. If you were on this show Hmm. and you were forced to pick one album to take to the Desert Island, he says Born to Run would be it. The the governor of New Jersey does know that that's an an album about trying to get the heck out of New Jersey, right? Well, he he seems to acknowledge that in this statement he put out. I can't believe he put out a statement about this, Uh but uh, this is what he said. He said, Bruce wrote of the places and the people I knew. He wrote about our hopes and frustrations. He gave voice to the suburban kids like me who were filled with dreams and doubts. He was one of us. (laughs) Until, of course, he was on the cover of Time and Newsweek, and then he wasn't one of us anymore. He was a rock superstar. A a bit of a difference between Bruce's politics and Governor Christie's. Well, and, and then there's this thing about it's the most powerful rock album of my lifetime. It's my Desert Island disc. But just a few weeks ago, wasn't this the same guy who was asked by a radio host if he was forced to choose between two native sons, Springsteen and John Bon Jovi, he would pick Bon Jovi? Uh, Uh, You know, he came right out and said that. Uh, You know, I figured if he was going to pick a Desert Island disc, it would be uh, slippery when wet. You know, Greg, my native state has a lot to be embarrassed about. Back it on up. Fill your cup up. Let's tear it up, up, and kick the dust up. Kick the dust up. Bar downtown, they got a line of people way out the door. $10 drinks, it's packed inside. I don't know what they're waiting for. Greg, that's one of your new favorite acts I know. It's Luke Bryan with a song called Kick the Dust Up from Kill the Lights. He is number one on Billboard's Top 200 album chart this week. From time to time, we like to take a look at the chart because it always surprises us. There's always music on there we haven't heard of. There's always music we can't believe is on there. You know, Luke Bryan's rep is that he's the Nashville act that's breaking the mold, but it sounds like generic Nashville to me. At uh, at number two on the chart, uh, he just won't go away. Ed Sheeran, that English singer song. This guy, how long? It's been like forever. When's he going to get lost? Forever. Number three and number four, Greg, are two Dre-related projects. Compton, Dre's first album in forever, is at number three. And N.W.A.'s debut album, Straight Outta Compton, has shot up to number four for the first time since the late 80s, based on the strength of that biopic. And this is great. The Various Artists compilation, now 55, is at number five. Talk about a 55 franchise. Fifty-five installments. Do you think anybody owns all fifty-five? Would that be their like whole record collection? Well, this is the answer to that like uh, KTEL compilation craze that uh, occurred during the seventies, right? I but mean, those all were those good. AM pop radio fans would love those collections, and for some reason, these records keep charting. I mean, people are still buying Man. compilation CDs for some reason. Number six on the chart, Jim. Uh, you'll be happy to know that Team Adam. 
from The Voice has given us a top 10 artist, Melanie Martinez. She was oh the my. third season of The Voice. She was on Team Team Adam. She's a 20-year-old singer who Adam's is now the in the top 10. Adam's the guy who does the, uh, the zit cream commercials, Oh, right? does he? I, I yeah. wouldn't know. But uh, I'm glad you do. Taylor Swift, uh, new artist? I, I, I don't know this Taylor Swift person. Been hanging out with Beck lately. number 7, 1989. There's another artist who just seems to own the top 10 for uh, most of the last decade, really. We were happy to hear about uh, the number 8 band in the top 10, though. You and I were both geeking out This on is cool. Venom, the new album from Bullet For My Valentine, a Welsh heavy metal band that started is in as, the top 10. Started as a Nirvana cover band and then turned into this. We have to play a little of this. A top 10 metal band. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Future R&B singer at number nine. At number 10, another country act, Sam Hunt. And we should mention, Jim, that at number 11, Elvis Presley is back in the top 20. He's got a new postage stamp out. Of course, (laughs) there is a new album, Elvis Forever, that is made available at the post office, and it has shot him back into the top 20 yet again. Listening to Sound Opinions, and that is the 1977 song Voyage to Atlantis by the Isley Brothers, featuring that unmistakable guitar of our guest this week, Ernie Isley. The Isley Brothers began back in the mid 50s when brothers Vernon, O'Kelly, Rudolph, and Ronald Isley formed a doo wop vocal quartet in Cincinnati. The group became a trio after Vernon died, and they scored huge R&B hits like Shout and Twist and Shout, later famously covered by the Beatles. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably danced to those tunes. Shake it up, But the band has had a longevity that far surpasses every other 1950s act. They added two more brothers, Ernie and Marvin Isley, and by the late 60s, they were doing funk, they were doing disco, they were doing psychedelia, huge hit singles like It's Your Thing, became one of the most sampled artists, Greg, of the hip-hop era. The Isleys are now being honored with a massive 23-CD box. The RCA Victor and Teaneck album masters 1959 to 1983, and even that covers only part of their career. A key part of the Isley brothers' ability to continually reinvent themselves was the addition of Ernie Isley on guitar who wrote many of their most iconic songs. We're talking about, like, Fight the Power, Footsteps in the Dark, Harvest for the World. He had this very distinctive guitar style and tone that's been imitated by countless musicians in both R&B and rock. You know, an extension of what his mentor and friend Jimi Hendrix was doing in the 60s, Ernie sort of took that forward into the 70s and beyond. Ernie, welcome to Sound Opinions. All right, now. Glad to be here. 
Ernie, you were in the household in Cincinnati in 1959 when Shout, that classic early track from your brothers, was starting to be played on the radio. I mean, did you have any sense of what was going on in the family at that point? Yes, because uh, when Shout came out uh, in 59, I was seven years old, and nothing on the radio sounded like that. And it was a song that it seemed like everybody sort of gravitated to. Shout was a, a song that, you know, got everybody up dancing and had people's pulse racing. In Smokey Robinson's autobiography, he said he was always trying to write a song like Shout. Mm-hmm. Because when the Isleys did it, it would be a half hour to 45 minutes before anybody could, could follow them. <laughs> he could play again. You know, it was that, yeah, so nobody wanted to follow them. And therefore, they became the closing act of the show. And that's, you know, closing behind uh, Jackie Wilson and Sam mm. Cooke because of this song. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. you know, they do it, and it's like, man, take no prisoners. They were coming out of the doo-wop, uh, you know, era. Uh, there was an element of that in that sound, and it was just, you know, gospelized and taken to this kind of fervor level. Seven-year-old Ernie Isley, did you know that you were going to be part of this group someday at that point? Uh, I had hopes, but, you know, being a kid, you have to go to school first. And I didn't start playing an instrument until I was 12, and that instrument was drums. It was my first instrument. Mm-hmm. And I played my first live gig with my brothers when I was 14 in Philadelphia. Martha and the Vandellas were also on that show, and they didn't have a drummer, so I also played behind them. And in between the two shows... My oldest brother, Kelly, handed me $50 and said, go get a hot dog. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> so I went, I went through the backstage doors right virtually, you know, within 10 minutes of us being on stage, you know, and the air still buzzing. Mm-hmm. And I go through the backstage doors and there were girls my age that screamed at me like I was Justin Bieber. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to move to Philly. <laughs> because I did not get that kind of action in my school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, that was the first taste of it for me. So you start out as a drummer. Mm-hmm. You're sitting in once in a while with your brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, they've got this other guitar player who's actually living in your house for a while. Yeah, he's wonderful. I think our listeners may have heard of him. This guy by the name of Jimi Hendrix. Yes. Jimmy just played unlike anybody, even then. When he was hired, they said, you know, you, uh, man, you play well, but uh, the guitar you got is kind of scruffy looking. We're going to have to get you a new axe. What kind you want? He's like, really? So yeah, what kind you want? 
can I have a white strap? They said, yes. And he was like, oh, my God. They got him his first fender. He came into the house. Ma, this is a new guitarist we just hired. He's going to, you know, be staying here for a little bit. Wound up being like approximately two years plus. Wow. Uh, in the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whenever he was playing and I heard him, I'd take my social studies book and I'd come out in the room, in the dining room, living room, wherever he was, and open the book. But I was not doing social studies. <laughs> I was listening to him. And as I said, you know, I'm 11 years old. JFK's in the White House and Jimmy is... Uh, nobody I ever heard played like that or plays like that. And so whenever I think about him, I think about the person. And I'm automatically 11 years old, between Mm -hmm. 11 and 13. Mm -hmm. And when the Beatles were introduced by Ed Sullivan in February of 64, I'm on the couch. And my younger brother Marvin's on the couch. And Jimi Hendrix is sitting between us. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. But there was no clap of thunder in our house. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you Tomorrow I'll miss you Remember I'll always Not too long after that, my brothers called a meeting a few days later and they said, you know, this English group has changed everything. You know, it's going to change everything. I don't know what's going to go on with Fabian or Paul Langer or, you know, Connie Francis or <laughs> Bobby Rydell or right. even Elvis himself. We understand that they, in their repertoire, they do Shout and Twist and Shout, which they later recorded. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, they got two guitar players, but we got Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And I looked over at Jimmy when he said that, and Jimmy was grinning from ear to ear. continue our conversation with Ernie Isley about the long career of the Isley Brothers in just a minute. Then we'll offer our take on the new album by Titus Andronicus. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Turn you on, now I can't turn you off. 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. My partner is Jim DeRogatis, and that's the Isley Brothers with I Turned You On from 1969, a full 10 years after their first hit, Shout, and featuring a much funkier sound. We're joined this week by Ernie Isley, who had joined his brothers on guitar by this point. And Ernie, I think the ability to reinvent yourselves was really a key to the Isley Brothers' longevity. The band was always keeping up with the times and anticipating the times. I mean, you think about It's Your Thing versus something like Shout. It almost doesn't sound like the same group, but it is. Right. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. And you had a big influence on that. I think when you and your younger brothers got into the group, that certainly changed the style. Would you say that you had an influence on the on the direction the music was going to take? Uh, you know, with a, with something like "It's Your Thing." Yeah, that made us more of a band. Mm-hmm. You know, and when we, you know, "It's Your Thing," and uh, you were doing uh, cover versions of Stephen Stills. You can't be with the one you love, honey. I love the one you with. Right. I love the one you with. And then we went to CBS and did a uh, 3 plus 3 thing. When they heard that lady for the very first time, they said, well, it doesn't sound like it's your thing. I mean, it doesn't have trumpets or saxophones on it, but uh, <laughs> we like it. <laughs> so, uh-huh. you know, right. and, it turned, that, and that song turned out to uh, just blew the door. If anybody had us categorized i mean that just totally obliterated Mm -hmm. any kind of boundaries Uh, we never felt and still don't feel confined to musical categorization well let's stay on that ernie because you're such a self-effacing guy but so many people have said that the solo you played on that lady was like the moment in the wizard of oz where things go from black and white to technicolor all right, yes. and, and if we had a, if we had to choose one Ernie Isley piece of guitar, uh, that'd be a pretty good one, right? How did it come to you? There was a song that my brothers did in '64, "Who's That Lady," and it was like a cha-cha bossa nova feel. Who's that lady? I gotta meet that lady, and I wish somebody would introduce her to me. And when we got ready to do our first Teenex CBS Records collaboration, one of the songs Ronald said he wanted to do was that song. And I said, hey, are you going to do that? Man, that's a cha-cha bossa nova. He said, no, we're going to change the title to that lady. We're going to change the lyric. We're going to change the tempo. We're going to change the melody. And you are going to play lead guitar on it. And I sort of shrug and say, like, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Whatever so, you want, Ronnie, yeah. Yeah, so when we so when we got to the studio uh, recording and we did the rhythm track, which is really funky, congas, rhythm guitar, hi-hat and all that, and the drums, 
it really had a, a real nice funk dance groove. And uh, I got the sound that I wanted to use for the lead guitar. Put a fuzz box on the floor, big muff, and I asked for a uh, phase shifter. And when I got it and plugged in and hit the very first note of the lead solo, the entire song changed in front of all of us. It was like, wow, where, where are we? played two takes the first take I was playing all over the place and my eldest brother Kelly he was staring at me through the uh, studio glass he didn't blink for like 45 minutes <laughs> uh, I lost it you know the, the two engineers uh, recording it they lost it and everybody else was just like mummified play it again you know <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was wild. And then my brother Rudolph said, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to do it again and make room for the vocals. And I'm like, the vocals? Man, are you crazy? You could do it just like that. Put Isley Brothers on it, put it out and it'd be a hit. Nobody disagreed. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you're going to have to do it again. So I did a second take and I was royally ticked off doing it. Royally. (laughs) That's the take that's on the record. Mm -hmm. But, Take number one was better. And then uh, they came down to do Summer Breeze. They said, just go out there and fool around. Yeah, just warm up. And I played, and I stopped playing. And I looked up and said, okay, I'm ready to do it. And they said, we got it. I'm like, oh, what? They said, no, we recorded that. So the Summer Breeze solo is the first take. That's a cover of that Seals and Crofts song. Seals which and Crofts song, yeah. Everybody goes, really? You did that kind of bland, uh, mid, you know, adult pop song? And you guys completely transformed it, uh, including your solo. Yeah, they uh, sent us telegrams with uh, filled with praise you know, when, when they heard it. You know, guys, uh, the song just now sort of belongs to you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I was out at the uh, NAMM convention. And somebody said, uh, Todd Rundgren's here. And he was doing some interviews, and it came to a pause, and I walked in, and I stuck my right hand out and said, Hello, it's me. And we both busted out laughing. <laughs> Hello. 
It's me, it's me, babe. I thought about us for a long, long time. Maybe I think too much, but something's wrong. He said, Ernie, you know, there's people that think you guys wrote the song. They can't believe I wrote it. And I'm like, Todd, you know what, man? We like the song. You did write the song. It's a wonderful song. That's what We liked it so much, that's why we did it. We're talking with Ernie Isley, a great guitar player in the Isley Brothers, about the new box set that the group is putting out. And Ernie, you really stepped up in the 70s, not only as a guitar player, but as a songwriter. And you wrote two of your best songs in a very short span of time, Fight the Power and Harvest for the World. How did those come about? Fight the Power was uh, after we finished recording. We had finished recording the Live It Up album in 74. As we finished, I was told that our mother and the wives and my nieces and nephews would be coming out to California and we were going to go to Disneyland. So I was going to Disneyland for the very first time in 22 years old and always wanted to go. So I jumped into the shower in a good mood and I started singing for whatever reason. Time is truly wasting. There's no guarantee. Smile is in the making. Fight the powers that be. And I was like, whoa. And so soap went one way. <laughs> shower curtain went another way. Water going on the floor. And I, you know, literally run out get a, a piece of paper and pencil and dripping over the paper and I'm writing that down and I have that piece of paper in my hip pocket all that day at Disneyland didn't tell anybody about it <laughs> time is really wasted there's no guarantee Uh, Harvest for the World, I went down to Manny's Music in New York and wanted to get a, a 12-string guitar, which I still have. And I liked the sound of the 12-string. And I just started noodling about and came up with the All Babies Together, Everyone's a Seed, Half of Us Are Satisfied, Half of Us in Need, Love's Bountiful in Us, Tarnished by Our Greed, when will there be a harvest for the world? And I played that for the first time. For uh, I remember playing it for Marvin and Chris. I had the guitar maybe like all of less than 12 hours. And they both looked at me like I grew another head with no neck on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> like how in the world did you, where did that come from? You know, mm-hmm. so, uh, but it's just, you know, inspiration. I was always more interested, and still am, in writing the song. Not so much singing it on the record, or not so much 
what the guitar solo is about. Because if the song is there, anybody can sing it, right? Anybody can play the guitar. So I, I was more interested in the song. I used to study uh, the stuff at Motown from that regard. Like, people knew about the Supremes, but they didn't know about Holland, those are Holland. Uh-huh. Or they didn't know about James Jamerson. Those are the folks that make the wheels go around. Well, Ernie, you know, uh, being the guy behind a character like Ronnie, and he's Mr. Biggs, you know, the spotlight is on him, and rightfully so, and you're the guy in the shadows. But is there a negative side to that? I mean, I find it so sad that that Ronnie did uh, several years in jail for a couple of hundred thousand dollars, allegedly, in in tax uh, delinquency. You know, nobody from the mortgage meltdown or the Enron crisis, and none of those people are in jail and Ronnie Isley goes to jail. I mean, that must have been a really hard time for you. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. But the idea is, uh, ooh, like Sly said, blood is thicker than mud. Uh, it's a family affair. I know my brothers as people, as human beings. I don't think of them as icons, although they are. Certainly, they are. In terms of a marital relationship, you hear to death do us part. It doesn't say that about brothers at all. Mm-hmm. So I have brothers that are both alive and brothers that are not alive. And the ones that are not alive, they're just as much of my brothers as if they still were. So that's just the way I feel about it. And, you know, you just keep, you keep going, you keep rolling. You know, it's been a lot of um, divine grace with the Isley brothers because uh, there's no way in the world if you wrote a script and said this is going to be a group that starts with humble beginnings and they're going to have this longevity and they're going to influence everybody and this is going to be going on from 1959 to the present day. Somebody will throw you out their office. It's like, that's impossible. That never happened. But in terms of us, uh, Billboard magazine's already acknowledged that we're the only group of artists, black, white, male, female, that has charted in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and into the millennium, and still here and, and still present and going. Not to mention the fact that in terms of hip-hop, rap, MTV generation, many of those artists used our catalog for the musical foundation. So when... You know, Bones, Thugs, and Harmony, the music under there is Isley Brothers' Make Me Say It Again, Girl. Mm -hmm. And that song for them not only was their biggest hit, but the biggest song of that year. Along with... Today was a good day, Ice Cube. I love it when you call me Big Pop. Right. Notorious B.I.G. I love it when you call me Big Pop. Throw your hands in the air if you's a true player. I love it when you call me Big Pop. To the honeys, get your money, play your fellas like dummies. I love it when you call me Big Pop. I love myself. With Kendrick Lamar, that lady, they just uh, gave him a Grammy for it. And- 
I know there's going to be people if they, you know, get into this compilation, it will sort of like give you instruction as to how you might go about establishing some longevity and getting past the idea of being in a category Mm. and that's where you are. You're in the twist era or you're in the American bandstand 50s era or you're in the psychedelic era or the Motown era or the disco era or the rap hip-hop era. It's like we're all of that. Well, well, this box set is like a graduate school in a box mm-hmm. for any other musician. You're absolutely right. But, so yeah. let, but let me ask you a tough question, uh, Ernie. 23 discs, right? What's the mm-hmm. most surprising thing uh, that you found or that you forgot about or that you hadn't given another thought to in 25 years? Uh, you know, what, what, were there discoveries for you? There have to be, even among 23 CDs. There got to be. Yeah, there's a uh, there's an album that we did at uh, Woodstock Bearsville that's included in there. 1980, uh, right? Yeah, like around 1980, and uh, you know that was I I know that that was there, but I really haven't heard it since that time, and none of us have. It was all about 1980. Oh, that's 35 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It yeah, seems yeah. like it should be like two months. I wanna love you, yeah, yeah, over and over again. We've been talking with Ernie Isley of the Isley Brothers. Ernie, it's been an honor having you on Sound Opinions. Oh, thank you, guys. And we want to hear from you. What's your favorite era of the Isley Brothers? What other artists do you admire for their longevity? Give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. After a short break, we'll have a review of the new album from New Jersey punk band Titus Andronicus. Then it's my turn to drop a quarter in the Desert Island jukebox. That's In a Minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Oh, I'm 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner's Greg Cott. And that is Titus Andronicus with a song called I Lost My Mind from the group's fourth album, The Most Lamentable Tragedy. Greg, that's actually a cover of a Daniel Johnston song. Daniel Johnston, famous underground, uh, mentally troubled, schizophrenic musician. And this is an album that's in part about manic depression, fighting it. The roots of Titus Andronicus go back to 2005 with band leader, singer-songwriter Patrick Stickles coming together in the suburbs of New Jersey, Glen Rock, New Jersey. Got a lot of attention in 2008 with a self-released disc called The Airing of Grievances, which showed the kind of sense of humor right there. It was a line from uh, Seinfeld. Got wider distribution the following year. In 2010, a very ambitious album called The Monitor, a concept record taking as its central metaphor the Civil War. <laughs> All right? This is a band, as might be expected from a group named after Shakespeare's most difficult play, that has not shied away from that dreaded word in rock and roll, pretension. They aim big. Whether they succeed or not on album number four, we'll, uh, we'll come back with our review in a minute. But the record is called The Most Lamentable Tragedy. It's an ambitious rock opera in five different acts, complete with an intermission in the middle, a silent track, a couple of covers, that Daniel Johnston song we played, a song by the Pogues, a version of Old Lang Syne. It's a big record. We'll give our big opinions in a minute. This song is called Stranded on My Own by New Jersey's Titus Andronicus on Sound Opinions. That is Stranded on My Own from the new Titus Andronicus record, The Most Lamentable Tragedy. Jim, you forgot to mention the uh, minute 18 of silence on this record. That is an individual that's, that's, track. That's the intermission. Yeah, that's no, what I was talking about. Yeah. no songwriting credit for John Cage. That's a John Cage joke. I finally got a chance to use, use one. You know, accordions, glockenspiels, orchestrations. A lot of grand you know, piano. Two nine-minute songs. You know, it, it is. Uh, and then there's a track uh, recorded on a home tape deck. I mean, yeah. it's full range of music here. 29 tracks, 93 minutes, five acts. 
Somebody noted that there was 145 annotations available <laughs> for this record on a particular website that Stickles uh, supposedly posted. It is just a dense, excessive, opulent, over-the-top piece of work. I know you're a fan of this band. I am, too. Well, we had them on the show in I'm surprised because he is a, a noted uh, Springsteen advocate. And, and I think the one thing, the one trait that I think that he shares with Springsteen is that he believes that this stuff can change your life. He believes that music is like the most important thing in many ways in, in being able to transform a person's life. And every note, I mean, oozes a, a sincerity, a passion, a deep belief that this is important stuff and I'm giving it to you. And despite all that, it still resonates with me. I mean, there is the Seinfeld humor. There's at least another reference to Seinfeld in this particular record. I yeah. believe there's a Newman reference in, yeah. in, in this record. But it's mostly straight-up stuff about him dealing with, with manic depression. I mean, it's a serious work. And, and his aim, he says, was to help other people who may have experienced some of this. You know, not everybody's manic-depressive, but everybody's gone through periods of depression or periods of where they're trying to determine what their worth is in this world. And this is a record that dives deep into that. I'm tempted to dock it rating because it is just so overwhelming. And if I were, say, an editor, <laughs> I would probably, I would think that he's got a dozen tracks on here that are absolutely killer. But in the days of uh, shuffle mode and random tracks, for somebody to put out a record this opulent, this big, this excessive, this ambitious, it, it, it truly is a distinctive piece of work, and I don't want anybody to overlook it. There's enough great stuff on here where he's really raging and beautiful stuff as well. The yeah. range of his music is really impressive. For a guy with a fairly limited voice and a fairly limited range as a guitarist, he does a lot with a little. I'm going to give it a buy it. Oh, it's absolutely a buy it, Greg. You know, the Springsteen sonic clues don't bother me because you don't have the Springsteen pomposity. You know, for one thing, generally Titus Andronicus is moving three or four times quicker than the E Street mm. Band. This comes at you in a rush that is overwhelming. You don't necessarily have to follow the rather complicated story at all to enjoy the music. This combination of unrelenting punk rock with the kind of Celtic lilt of the last decade of the E Street Band, also Pogues, there's a Pogues cover, right? So there's violins and there's, there's uh, you know, whistles and stuff like that. And it goes really well with the punk rock. I think you have to reach to two undisputable classics in punk rock in terms of sprawling concept album Zen Arcade by Husker Du or David Comes to Life by the Canadian art punks Effed Up. This album is that good for sure. Uh, it's a definite double buy it. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible here on Sound Opinions, one of us likes to take a trip to the desert island and play you a song we can't live without. Greg, you're trying to get away from uh, all the Republican debates on television. What have you got for us this week? 
Well, I mentioned this at the top of the show, Jim, uh, box set Bonanza, and I wasn't kidding. You know, we, we talked about the Eisler Brothers just a few minutes ago, the tremendous box set of their uh, material. And in through the door walks a Faces box set the other day. I haven't thought about the Faces in a long time. I mean, there's been these reunion rumors going around for years, but a number of the key members are now long gone. You wonder how they would do it. But for two reasons. I love the Faces back in their original days. Anybody who has loved the replacements, let's say, or Wilco, especially early Wilco, needs to investigate this band. Ronnie Lane on bass, Ian McLaughlin on keyboards, Kenny Jones on drums later with The Who. But the guy I want to single out is Ronnie Wood, a guy who's kind of like a punchline for a lot of people. You know, he's kind of the the drunk up there next to Keith Richards in, yeah, in yeah. the Rolling Stones. Keith's buddy. And, and, and Keith's drinking buddy and for a long time, you know, struggled with alcoholism. It, it's not a joking matter. I mean, Ronnie Wood has pulled out of this, but he, he sort of played that affable buffoon-type character for a long time, and yet an extremely talented guitarist, singer, and songwriter, and especially with The Faces, such a key member of that band. The thing about The Faces that I thought was so endearing, that they came across these kind of swaggering, boozy guys, the rogues on the road, having a great time, but it was all just a veneer. Beneath that sort of swaggering surface, there was an incredible vulnerability. They were just scared boys going out there, and they were having their hearts broken, and they would sing about it. They would own up to the fact that, hey, I really, I, I really don't know what I'm doing. I'm not really prepared to be an adult, and I'm worried about it. You know, And it would come across in some of their most poignant pieces of music, and I think that's what people like Westerberg and Tweedy really related to. And it's especially true of this song I'm going to play here. It's a song co-written by Ronnie Wood and Ronnie Lane. It is the last track on the Last Faces album. It's the title track of their last album, Ooh La La, in which uh, Wood basically pours his heart out. He sings the lead vocals on this track because Rod Stewart, for whatever reason, decided not to record the vocals. Interestingly enough, Stewart recorded this song decades later on one of his solo records. He liked it so much. But here's Ronnie Wood basically saying, you know, having a conversation, an imaginary conversation with his grandfather. And it's kind of one of those, listen, grandson, if I had known back then what I know now, here's what I would tell the young me. And I'm telling you now that you're going to have your heart broken multiple times. Just be ready for it. Ooh la la from the faces on Sound Opinions. For all granite, I laughed at all his words. I thought he was a bitter man. He spoke of women's ways. The trap you and the use you before you even know. For love is blind and you're far too kind.
Ooh La La by The Faces, Greg Cott's Desert Island Jukebox pick for the week. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we have an in-studio interview and a live performance from the melodic punk band Bully. As always, we have some thanks to say on the way out. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, Evan Chung, Alex Claiborne, and this is the last week for one of our favorite interns ever, Emily Espinel. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. Operator, operator, I'm so glad that you rang my phone. Operator, operator, I'm so glad that you found me home. New messages. Hi, this is Travis down in Austin, Texas. Just heard you guys talking to Jessica up in Montreal and prescribing some music to her. And the whole time, the first thing jumping out to me was how earnest I feel like a lot of the rock I've been hearing coming out of Australia has been. You guys mentioned the folk singer there, but I have just been amazed with what I've heard from the Eddie Current Suppression Ring, the playfulness of UV Race, and probably at the top of my list right now is a new record by a band called Royal Headache. All three bands, I feel like, are very simple and earnest, but Royal Headache specifically also feels like they're just playing for their lives. Okay, thank you. Hey, Jim and Greg, it's Jim Copany. When your patient in the last Rock Doctors episode offered up the symptoms that plagued her the most, she mentioned that whole movement headed up by uh, Monsters and Men and the Lumineers and Mumford and Sons, and she said that blood of hey-ho choruses and mandolin. She forgot to mention the hand claps, by the way. Anyway, my wife and I have a name for that strain of music that's been plaguing your patient. We've named it Epic Folk, and it is a virus that must be stopped. Anyway, guys, I think you gave her good advice. Hi, Greg and Jim. This is Jim from Elmhurst, and I listen to your show all the time. Just finished the podcast about the show on TV, on radio, and you had a lot of good selections on there, but I'm really surprised none of you mentioned The Wonder Years, the show from the 90s, that really successfully and eloquently married music from the period with the characters and storylines. So give that a shout-out. Anyway, thanks a lot. Keep up the good work.
Hey, this is CJ in Central Virginia. I want to comment on your Desert Jukebox pick with Neil Young and those members of Crazy Horse doing Keep on Rocking in the Free World. I was in college at the time and delivering pizzas on that night, and I remember delivering pizzas to some dude's apartment, and I delivered a pizza right as that number started. And I stood there and I said to the guys, hey, do you mind if I just stand here and and watch this and they said no no problem and we just we all stood there and watched this amazing performance <laughs> dumbfounded <laughs> i remember walking away thinking what the heck was that <laughs> thanks for uh, bringing up that memory love the show no more messages to share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.